Hey, this is Faith, and thank you for tuning in to Faith Over Everything podcast, where I cover everything, whether it's pop culture, religion, politics, relationships, fashion, beauty, entertainment, black culture, whatever is on your hearts and minds, we are talking about it on the show. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode available on all your favorite streaming platforms and enjoy the show. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's show. This conversation was so amazing um, with my guest today. She is just a wealth of knowledge and amazing experiences. And um, I just really enjoyed the conversation. And I am going to preface this with the show is longer today. It is longer but I did not want to cut her off, right? Like I was just enjoying the conversation so much. I did not want to cut her off. So be patient. Um, And hey, if you have to come back to the show, definitely come back and finish tuning into it. But I truly enjoyed the show. And with that said, enjoy. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome back to all of my listeners to uh, another episode of Faith Over Everything. And it has been quite a while. I've decided to kind of take a summer break and now I am back and I'm super excited about the guest today. I have known this powerhouse of a woman for so many years. She is a very best, she's the best friend of my cousin. I know her family. I've just seen her grow up and blossom and just do some amazing things. I'm just always in awe of her. So I'm just so happy to have her on the show. Everybody welcome Nubia to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the glittering remarks. Um, I feel the same about you, Cousin Faith. (laughs) As I grew up, you know, learning your name, it was always Cousin Faith together, one word. (laughs) That's hilarious. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about our conversation today. Me too. And um, I just really want our listeners and even myself to learn more about your journey, right? You know how you can see people on social media and even we chat here or there whenever I run into you, but sometimes you really just don't know about someone's personal journey to where they are. And um, I think you have an amazing story and such, you know, and an inspirational story as well for a lot of black women who are looking to kind of do what you've done or, you know, even trying to figure things out professionally. So I was like, no, I absolutely have to have her on. So start out by telling us a little bit more about who you are, where where you're from and what you currently do. Yeah. So my name is Nubia Murray. I am originally from the South side of Chicago. I grew up in the South Shore neighborhood. Um, and I, I try to make sure when I introduce myself, I call that out specifically because I think that You know, the community that I grew up in, um, largely, I would say, middle class, Black, Catholic specifically. I grew up half a block away from my church. Um, And, you know, I think the neighborhood I grew up in and the family um, that I'm from provided me a a really solid foundation um, and kind of gave me the permission to um, really explore the world. So I think they taught me that 
South Shore would always be there to welcome me back. Um, but not that I needed to stay tethered to my community, that it was really my job um, to really expand kind of um, where I was from and infuse, you know, my childhood identity with everything that I was learning in school and college, professionally, et cetera, and then use all of that to come back and pour into my community. Um, it, it's so funny. I'm the youngest of four kids. I always feel like I'm the youngest in every like circle that I'm in. Um, and I'm, I, I have siblings that are significantly older than I am. But now that I live back in Chicago, I lived in New York for a very long time. I lived in DC for school. Now that I'm back in Chicago and I'm kind of back in my neighborhood, um, again, they expect you just to pour back into them in the way they poured into you. And so that has been, you know, me transitioning into kind of the community granddaughter or <laughs> other community daughter is kind of where I am in my life now. But I'm from South Shore. Um, and then I, I, I went to, I would say, school in the High Park neighborhood. I went to Murray Language Academy. Um, I would say Murray was my first lesson in communicating across difference. You know, I think High Park is a very multicultural neighborhood. And of course, it is the home of a world class, you know, institution in University of Chicago. And so I grew up in a, a school that was very multicultural. And I don't think I, I knew how unique that was, especially when you look across the CPS system. And so Murray was a language academy. I studied Japanese since I was in kindergarten. Um, I didn't know how unique that was until I got to high school or got to college, that language specifically, or being a young black girl, you know, studying Japanese. Um, and then I went to Whitney Young, you know, on the West Side um, for um, seventh and eighth grade. And I called that out specifically as well because I was an Aki and I wear that you know, badge um, with honor. Um, it's so funny, my mother was a 42 year veteran educator and my father, of course, is equally, you know, as passionate and passionate and emboldened around our, our academic kind of, you know, pursuits, all four of my, me and my siblings and all four of us. Um, so I remember being in sixth grade and Murray, my mom picked me up and she's like, I'm gonna take you to your brother's school today. Um, and so my brother also was at Winnie Young. Um, so he's four years my senior. And I was like, oh, fantastic, you know? And so what she was really taking me was to a test. So she was taking me to an admissions exam. And so she's like, you're gonna get out of the car, you're gonna go inside and you're gonna do your best. And little did I know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, no idea what I was testing for. And um, when I got admitted to Whitney Young, you know, she kind of told me towards the last day of school at Murray, you know, she's like, make sure you spend a lot of time saying goodbye to your friends because you're going to a new school next year. And I was like, wait, what, 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 you know? And so that is exactly how my parents were. They, they, you know, they never softened the blow. They were really, um, they definitely pushed us um, in a very intentional but I would say aggressive way um, to kind of level up. And so I think them doing that really kind of infused in us our own ability to push ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it was super painful at the time. Of course, I hated it, but it ended up, you know, all to my benefit. So went to Whitney Young, had a fantastic experience. I think um, Whitney Young was, it just gives you a really well-rounded education. And I was equal parts artistic, academic, and athletic. 
Um, and, you know, I ran track when I was at Whitney Young and was a lifeguard in the summer and, you know, was smart and was proud about being very smart. Um, and I think that just, you know, kind of gave me a springboard to then going to Howard. Um, okay, so, so wait. Howard, yes. I got to cut you off. You said you unloaded a lot on me. So. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, so I know you're not. So my journey as a mom, right? We stress out so much about this selective enrollment test. And I've mentioned this on this show before, because if you're not from Chicago, I don't know. I don't really know how it works in a lot of different. I'm here. Right. So I don't know. But in the city of Chicago, if you want your kids to attend some of the better CPS schools, you have to test in the fact that your mom just said, come on, come with me. And you about to take this test is just blowing me away. So yeah, you were she just was, prepared. She was like, with it for sure. And, and 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 I would say I am the youngest of four children. And I think when you look at all of our academic histories, you can see how my parents, and I say this with love, got smarter about the process. Got it. So, you know, my two older siblings went to Catholic elementary mm-hmm. um, in our neighborhood. Um, got solid educations, right? And my oldest sibling went to St. Ignatius for high school. So again, my parents paid for elementary, they paid for his high school. Um, And then my sister went to Catholic elementary and she went to Kimwood for high school. So they're getting a little bit smarter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, My brother and I, who's closest in age to me, still still my older brother, both went to Murray for elementary. Mm-hmm. And both went to Whitney Young, but I think when it came to me, you know, she's like, okay, you're going to go to Murray until sixth grade, and then you're going to test in and take this selective enrollment test and then get into Whitney, you know, for seventh and eighth grade. So you could see in, in all of their decisions with all of us, and not just academics, but so many other things, what we did in the summer, other enrichment, the, you know, amount of international travel that we had, there was a slow progression with each kid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I say about, you know, being the youngest of four children, my parents had me when they were in their mid to late 30s. And I think in the 80s, that was a bit unique. Um, definitely not unique now. Right. But my right. mother was about my mother was about my age when she had me mm-hmm. um, was that when I came into the picture, um, I was meeting fully formed people. <laughs> and so my there was you know, no lack of confidence in their decision-making. There was, you know, very little negotiation and I was very much on their program. Um, and, yeah. and it worked out. <laughs> it, and it, it worked it, out. It worked out, right. It was awesome <laughs> for sure. But I, you know, I definitely grew up in a very, I, I would say um, strict, but in a non-traditional way. I think my parents definitely wanted to expose me to life. Um, so it wasn't maybe strict in, in the often religious way that you think about or strict in like the social conditioning that often happens. But I think they were very like focused on our success. And I think they knew that they could rear and raise us until high school. And after that, they knew that that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were just, you know, 
I would say I got all the freedom when I got to college and I was in jail until then. You know, they were like, <laughs> you know, the moment I got to Howard, they were like, go ahead, girl, do your thing. We'll see. Right. But up until then, no, you know, um, very heavy thumb, right? So, but went to Whitney Young um, and my journey to Howard was a, a bit unique. I went on a college tour with the Deltas when I was a junior in college, junior high school. And um, we went to all of the HBCUs and um, I went to Howard and it rained the entire day. Okay. And I was like one of those kids that was uh, really into signs, you know, really into omens. Um, what was the universe telling me? <laughs> uh, and I just was like, you know what, it's raining. Uh, I just feel like this is the best, you know, and so I, was like, I can't, really, can't really see the campus. We're stuck in the built in all the kind of student buildings and library the whole time. I was like, uh, I'm getting a good feel. Um, and so, but what was interesting, the college tour was led by a Delta named Nakia, who I ended up going to Howard and Pledging. And she had on her Delta windbreaker and she was so smart and professional and polished and well-rounded. And I just remember thinking that, okay, it's raining, but if I come here, then I can be like her, you know? And I was also, my mother was a Delta. I was in Deltine. At the time I was Deltine president. Oh, okay. Um, Yep. And um, um, so I was like, okay, you know, Howard can be on my list of options. Um, I still wanted to go to Wash U. That was like my first number one choice. Okay. Um, I thought about UFC because I actually had a track scholarship to UFC, but I knew that Chicago was not big enough for me and my mother. I was like, somebody needs to own the city and it's not going to be me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I kind of went to Howard a little reluctantly, mm-hmm. really excited, but just reluctantly for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I think that when I got to college, um, similar to, to, you know, high school. I remember when I was applying for, for, for college, my mom kind of sat me down and she's like, okay, she, I remember vividly, she kind of took a plate, like a little physical, a literally a physical dinner plate. And she's like, okay, this is your, you know, think of yourself as a well-rounded meal. Right. And so she's like, what is the meat? You know, what are the vegetables? What is the starch? You know, how do you balance out kind of the crux of who you are? And and she's like, when you're applying to college, you need to find ways to really present all facets of you to give like a really fulsome picture of who you are. And to do that, you have to have and be a person of substance. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I really, I still really hover on that. And, And when I got to college, you know, I think I kind of squeezed every ounce of, you know, at the Howard experience that I pledged when I was at Howard. I, I was managing editor of the yearbook. I was in a business fraternity. I also took on a leadership position within the School of Business. I did student council. I studied abroad. Um, so I was kind of like, I really looked, you know, freshman year, I kind of charted my entire course for the four years I, I was there. Wow. Um, and so, you know, which is probably why I graduated. I was like dead dog tired when I graduated from Howard. I was like, I've done too much. Yeah. Uh, was it fashion shows? Just like all the things. But yeah, and I, and I loved it. And I, 
I think that, you know, I credit Howard and Delta and of course myself that are bringing for a lot of my professional success. I think that, you know, Howard really exposed me to every type of black person that exists in this world. You know, it exposed me to, you know, people from Africa and from the Caribbean and, and from European countries that we all look to like, but we have very different experiences. And it even exposed me to, I remember one of my good friends now, you know, Bianca was the first person I met from the South, you know, first person I met from Texas. Yeah. Um, or all of my friends in LA or meeting people from Detroit and really understanding what being from the Midwest meant. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was the, the first time where, you know, I realized that I had an accent. Yeah, um, that's true. And, you know, and I was like, what is a Midwest accent? Or or sometimes when you meet people from New York, they'll say you sound like you're from the South. Um, whereas you meet people from the actual South. Um, that used to really like, offend me. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, do you just, I think that you just, you know, Howard and HBCU specifically, I I feel as though they have the the power to just expose you to all the things you can be um, as a person of color. Um, And just that, you know, we aren't a monolith, that there's just so many ways to, to, you know, represent our community, which I, which I loved. and I think, you know, at Howard kind of took advantage of all the internship opportunities and, and through that is how I realized I wanted to live in New York um, at, at, you know, some point when I graduated and, and ended up, you know, being able to do that. So I would say, you know, who am I? You know, that is, you know, those big pieces have really shaped and formed who I am and, um, you know, I would say, I, I think I'm definitely someone who is the sum of my experiences. Like I think most women are, um, is that we're constantly taking in data um, and kind of shifting, you know, a little bit and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say those are kind of, you know, the big pieces that that really make up who I am. That's awesome. And what I love and what I'm so just impressed by is just your parents and how they were so intentional about how they raised you guys and what they exposed you to. Honestly, I don't think I've ever told you this, but your parents and your family has always reminded me of the Cosby show. <laughs> you know, because yeah. just art, you know, just very well-rounded, like you mentioned, very, you know, worldly and, and knowledgeable. And again, just intentional about instilling so many of those amazing values in their children. And it's not like I grew up with you guys. But I just always get that vibe. And it's, I don't know, your mom, She's she was always like Claire Huxley, like classy and just beautiful. And I don't know, but I think that's awesome. Yeah, we're a little bit of the Cosby's, maybe a, a little bit of the Adams family as well. <laughs> now there's definitely a, a dark side for sure. Um, you know, it, I, I think, um, I think my parents, um, I think the yin and yang of a lot of the positive is they showed their love in a very different way. And um, I think that if I had children, I would I would want to have a little bit more of a, of a balance. And I think that what I had to realize, especially as I became an adult, that caregiving and ensuring safety and providing resource and giving folks exposure and making sure that, you know, your children don't grow up with the mindset of lack, mm. that they grow up with the mindset of abundance is love. 
Um, and you don't know that as a child, you just think that like you didn't get Jordan. So your parents don't love you. Right. And so, um, as an adult, I, of course I credit everything to them, but it was, it was the, it was tough, you know, growing up in a house with tons of expectations. But now as an adult, I realized that, you know, there are children where, you know, their parents have no expectations of them. Yeah. Um, and like, they don't require anything of them. And, you know, I think my parents, my mother, you know, my mother was a, you know, double, you know, master degree educator and my father is a judge. So of course has a law degree. You know, I think that they came from places where they literally lacked resource and, you know, for them to have, you know, the traditional kind of, um, things that look successful. So to have a home where all four, four of your children have their own bedroom, right? To have a home where art is on the walls, where you have multiple TVs, where you have, you know, foreign cars, not the best of cars, but definitely nice cars. Um, they were like, you all have everything you need to be successful and we're requiring you to be successful. And also, you know, I think my parents ensured that we had proximity to, you know, kids and people and other families that did not have what we had. And we were constantly checked about it. Like my parents let us know that we will take anything from you and we will give it to someone else who we felt like, you know, needs it more. I remember um, my mother used to be really good friends with Mama Corla, who was uh, a famed educator on the South Side of Chicago. And I remember she was doing some community work and we came home and all of our bikes were gone. And, you know, we found the South Side bike ride and was like part of your identity, right? right, right. Like, I can't be with my bike gang today because you took my bike, you right. know? <laughs> Literally, all four of us got home, opened that garage, gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my mother was like, there are some children that needed a bike more than you more than you needed it. And that was literally our life, you know, was a constant check of you've had the experience, you've had the exposure, you already know how to amplify it. You don't need the literal bike, right? Um, so, I and I think that kind of, you know, helps me, you know, dictate, you know, resource or, you know, what wealth really means or, you know, what you need to show outwardly versus what is in you. Um, but yeah, they were they were definitely, you know, that way. And, and I would say, I do think, you know, I have cousins and other family members, and I do think my parents really put us in a, a petri dish and made sure that all of us were, you know, happy and whole mm-hmm. and sane um, and successful in the in the traditional ways, but also, you know, had really strong values. Also, were you know, strongly strongly connected to the community um, and knew that that stuff was important. So I, I do think they did a really good job and I think they did a good job because they uh, you know struggled you know in 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 their own perspective upbringings that you know my father was the person the first person to graduate from college in his family let alone get a law degree wow um and you know my mother my uncle um her brother um it was just the two of them grow up they grew up over a tavern right and today we call tavern bar so we call them right so they grew up over a tavern Mm -hmm. um and and on the south side and um they used to ask um and they also at one point grew up grew up over like a dancing studio 
but never never have a single family house right and so um so so for them like you know like i said getting the big house was like the big deal yeah um so so yeah wow wow that is an amazing family story (laughs) it really is it's rich it's a beautiful story and it's very inspirational um so i know you mentioned you weren't really super excited about howard but now it's like you're like h-u h-u so at what point when you arrived to howard did you like fall in love with howard like okay you know what this is it or did that ever happen for you no i mean i I definitely have to find my fit at Howard for sure. I was, again, you know, I grew up with a fair amount of restrictions. So I remember my, you know, first, I would say first semester at Howard, my my friends were like, girl, you can't hang with us. Like, you either gonna be cool or not, you know? And so like, we want to go to this house party. Are you gonna act like you wanna be there or not? Right? You know, because that was just like so beclamped by everything. I was like, oh my God, like, why is he dancing on me? But no, I mean, I'm just such a strong advocate of HBCU education because I think that, you know, the world will knock us down. Um, And, you know, for you to be in a four year kind of petri dish, right? Or 40 year experiment in which you get to really figure out who you are before you're let out, you know, and into a world that is very unforgiving for Black people. There's just such strength in that. And I think that, you know, we really need to know, you know, who we want to be. And I think often, you know, when you're Black people from certain communities or cities or states, you're often kind of like, like anyone, you're presented with one version. And I could even say that there is a certain amount of difference that I have for my own siblings based on the fact that I went to Howard, based on the fact that I went to New York, based on the fact that I've lived, you know, in Japan for a period of time. And you have to be comfortable with that. You know, you have to get comfortable with yourself and also be comfortable being different in circles that look like you, right? And so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm like Howard to I die. My <laughs> One of my nieces graduated from Howard, my oldest niece. I have a, a my, um, my middle niece is there now, just started as a freshman. And I don't really push it on them. I think I'm just a strong advocate of black schools in general, but, um, you know, I think that like, once you expose children to kind of, what the options are um once you don't you know label them and their possibilities or once you know you don't silo them then i think that they actually can make really good decisions for themselves and so one thing i really enjoy about my niece who's at howard now my oldest niece is like oh yeah that's what i'm going with. right and so <laughs> my <laughs> went there you know john deal like a little bit um it was either Howard or Mizzou, and I was like, you definitely have to go to Mizzou. Um, and so, um, but my niece who's at Howard now, she did a really good job of visiting like every single black school. Every Every. One. Every. Like she, she made a list. She knew she wanted to go to an HBCU, so she shortlisted her options. But she, I mean, schools that I never even considered applying to in different states, mm-hmm. you know, she had a really good balance of, is this a city I want to live in? And is, is this a school I want to go to? Because, you know, we, 
you know, some black schools are, you know, as you know, not in major metropolitan areas. Right. They can feel very remote. Yeah. They may be in parts of the deep south, you know, and I think she, you know, I'm happy that she knew that about herself. Like, I want to be in a major city. Um, I don't want I want to be a, a plane ride from home, but I don't want to be a two plane rides in a train right. or two plane rides in a bus, right, from home. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I think, and, and one thing she said, I, of course, I took her to Howard Hampton Weekend <laughs> and um, gave her all the freedom. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be here where my people, you could be with your friends. We're just, we just going to meet up, right? right? And so at the end of the trip, she's like, you know what, Howard feels like my school. And I was like, oh, that's how it's supposed to feel. Like, it's yeah. supposed to feel like yours, right? Yeah. Like, your, that your identity and the identity of the school are connected. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's any school that, you know, any, any you know, rising senior chooses to go to. So, yeah. Is she that's enjoying good. it so far? I think so. I heard from the girl. I don't know oh, what's well. happening, you know? <laughs> you know, you know what they're when when everything gets real quiet, you know, it's like, maybe right. it's all, it's all going well. Right. You know? <laughs> but I did that too. Once I got to Howard, I like did not come home. I, you know, I was like, maybe I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Right. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I don't maybe know. I, right. <laughs> I'm not when I'm coming home, mama. I'm never coming home. I'll be there. You know. <laughs> so. That's hilarious. Did you know when you were at Howard, because everything about you seems to be so intentional and so like you plan for the future like you know you're in tune with with your interests did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated i had no idea um when i applied to howard it was still the paper application i knew i wanted to major in business and i looked at kind of the majors within the business school and I know I wanted to major in business out back up because I got an, an internship with En-ROADS. Oh, yeah. And so I was an En-ROADS in, intern and um, got into that program. Um, and I had always interned in high school. Like, I, I knew that I had to fully leverage my summers. My parents were not ever of the mindset that you're just going to lay around the house and vegetate. Like, never. <laughs> you have to be doing something. Yeah. Or or you were cleaning up. So I was like, well, I'm not staying here and cleaning up. To clean up, summer. right. <laughs> um, so I knew I wanted to major in business. And so when I looked at the majors, I, I remember it vividly. I was on a kitchen counter and I was like, oh, international business. I've traveled. I know languages. That's what this is. You know, international business. That's what it is. So my mother's like, okay, you know. <laughs> um, so I got there and it kind of worked out, you know, because um, the study abroad, mm-hmm. typically when you're an IB major, um, you know, there's a study abroad component, et cetera. So it all, you know, it all kind of worked. But, um, you know, I, I knew I really liked being in the school of being. Um, I think that if I had known my working style more, I probably, and if this coursework was even offered because, you know, the school of business has changed so drastically because industry has changed. Like the tech industry didn't even exist when I was in school. Um, but I would have probably, you know, if I was there now, explored more courses in entrepreneurship. For sure. Um, yeah. 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 So... Um, so that would probably be, you know, the only thing that I would have would have changed. But um, I had fantastic internships. I had fantastic summer experiences. Um, you know, I really squeezed everything out of the school of business. 
um, you know, uh, you know, your freshman year, you're like wearing suits every day, which yeah. is just so, you know, so <laughs> out of the box, I find. <laughs> but it gives you really good training, you know, because you do, you know, power students do walk into most corporations as the most professional. Um, I've seen that. Or, I can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Or having the most, I would say, I would say having uh, an elevated level of business maturity, yep. especially for a freshman or a sophomore in, in, in college. So it, there's a definite difference for sure. Yep, I agree. Um, I remember when um, Nigel, his major was international business and that first year had to wear the blazers and stuff like that I really I love that though I'm like I like that they're like preparing you now for the corporate world so that was that was cool yeah. so if my memory serves me correct when you graduated from Howard you worked at JP Morgan or am I making or am I wrong on that when I graduated, I actually worked at a place called Harriet Cole Productions. It's now called Harriet Cole Media. Um, and so it's funny. I had interned on Wall Street um, for most of my summer. So I interned at Goldman Sachs as a freshman, which was so unheard of, um, would like clawed my way to the internship. Um, and then I interned at Bank One. So Bank One is the predecessor to Chase actually yeah. interned the summer that the merger was occurring between the banks. Um, the next summer, I studied abroad in Japan because the um, the semester timing is off by a few months. So essentially, the spring semester in, in Tokyo started in March and ended in August. So... Um, you know, so, you know, I didn't have an internship this summer before my senior year. So I kind of entered the standard full-time, you know, um, application process. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the offer, um, when I got to the offer, I interviewed at Eli Lilly, so a pharmaceutical company in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. I, I got a great offer and I had like a, a, a midlife crisis. Midlife crisis at 21. You know, I, I went, <laughs> they flew me out to, to Indianapolis. And um, when I was on campus, I, or the campus of Eli Lilly, I saw no Black people. Or I didn't see enough Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, well, if I don't see any Black people who are married, this is literally my thought. I was just like, <laughs> Who am I dating down here? Like, what? How is this going to work? You know, like, who in Indianapolis? Um, and Indianapolis is not a very diverse place. But, uh, <laughs> so, you know, this is a story in what you should not do, declining an offer. So I got an internship offer. And, like, literally, because I knew that I didn't have at least another option at the time, I literally did not know how to decline it. Like, in my mind, I was just like, I am not meant to be in Indianapolis. I really wanted to be in New York. I need to find an opportunity there. But I did not, at the time, know how to get there, right? And so, like, the recruiter was, like, calling and calling. And, you know, other Howard alums who worked at Lily were calling me, like, hey, we really want you. Are you going to take the job? And I was like, I don't know. You know, you're like, this is a great opportunity, but it's not the opportunity for me. Hmm. And I didn't know how to articulate that, um, you know, when I was a senior in, in college, right? And so 
what I ended up doing is um, I ended up uh, kind of writing an email to myself and I still have this same practice. And um, I wrote it and sent it to just everyone who I considered a mentor, a friend, someone who was guiding me. And I was just like, here's what I think my skill set is. Here's a type of job that I think I want. Um, and I want to end up in New York. You know, can you help me and provide me with an opportunity? And um, what manifested, I had a profile who was working for Harriet Cole, who was well-known in the media industry, former editor at Essence. Um, she had her own company and they were like, hey, you know, she has a job opportunity. It'll get you to New York. Um, you know, the pay is this, which was minimal. Um, and I was like, I'll take um, I had to do like a few writing samples and um, ended up getting the job. And I moved to New York with two suitcases. Um, I stayed with a girlfriend for about six weeks um, and ended up finding a place. You know, I was, I had very little money. Like I was making $30,000. Um, so $30,000 at the time equates in New York in, you know, 2006, it equates to eight twenty dollars every two weeks. So I made $1,600 a month. And um, I found an apartment, a studio apartment in the Bronx that was $800 a month. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, half my rent, right. you know, half my paycheck, half my, my monthly take home will go towards my rent and the other half I'll live off of. Mm-hmm. And that was literally my start for two years. That's what I did. That's what you made for two years. Mm-hmm. I think my second year I went up to 35 k which is, you know, it probably took me from like 820 every two weeks to 870. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in no debt. I managed my money very well. You know, I found a way to like get the things that I needed because I was really starting from scratch. You know, I wasn't bringing my dorm stuff to New York. Right. My parents were not super happy that I was moving to New York. They weren't super happy that I was taking this job. Um, so they were like, okay, we'll drive you up to the airport. I mean, you figure it out from there. Figure it out. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my parents have never been like the give you money type of parents. I've never had that situation ever. Um, <laughs> and so they were like, if, if this is what you're choosing to do, then good luck, you know? And so, and I figured it out. And I lived in New York for 12 years and, you know, just kind of kept building and building. And eventually I went from Harry Cole, worked for her for two years. It was really my, uh, a great opportunity in learning like the black political scene in New York. Um, you know, I learned the city on foot. So I know how to navigate New York far better than I can navigate Chicago. Mm. Um, Because I was, you know, had limited money. So I wasn't taking cabs. You know, there wasn't Uber, Lyft back then. That's true. Wow. I was on the the train, you know. And so I I learned learned how to read addresses. I remember I had a very specific lesson working for her. And, you know, in New York, you are, um, let's say, 570 West or 570 East, right? And that means you're either, you know, on this side of Fifth Avenue or on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I remember not, and this is like, I didn't have a Blackberry. I didn't have a cell phone connected to email. Yeah. Like, you know, when you need a train direction, you printed them out from Hop Stop. Right. Like this is prior, you know. And so I remember we had a, an office 
um, we were going to a publicist office. We were working on uh, a very high profile event of um, a famous Howard alum that has had multiple nicknames. You can figure out who he is. Yes, I do. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, we were going to his publicist office and she was like, okay, do you make sure you got the address? And I had the address, but I had the wrong East or West. And I remember, like, she's like, this is not where, where we are supposed to be. I know where her office is, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like in the middle of the street with your boss. And it was like, for me, it was a lesson to, you know, sometimes you learn a lot of lessons by making mistakes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I was like, I would never forget an address again. You know, I would never miswrite something again. Like I needed to, let me print it out from the email. Let me triple right. check to the assistant. Mm-hmm. Let me make sure I have the directions according to the person that works there, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I just remember ju- there were just so many interesting lessons in, in, in what I learned and how I learned to be thorough, especially working for someone that was very particular and prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I worked for her for a few years. We're still, I can still consider her a mentor. And, uh, and then I ended up working at JP Morgan. I got an opportunity to make the jump and, and started working at the JP Morgan Chase Foundation same process you know kind of crafted an email what I felt like my skill set was the things Hmm. that I had accomplished in my two years of working full-time for Harriet and um and manifested this opportunity of Howard alum sent me an email saying hey I actually have a role on the foundation team that they're opening up someone is leaving and they're trying to hire someone quickly and I think that's usually how opportunities come like as you know recruiting could be very low-hanging fruit you know we need a body in the door now because we need to get this work done and yeah kind of be ready and 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 got to JP Morgan ended up being there nine years and worked in the JP Morgan Chase Foundation which I loved it was another dream realized as as I like to say to work in corporate philanthropy and then made the internal transition and worked in sports and entertainment marketing, um, you know, for, for almost five years. So I was at Chase a total of nearly nine years um, before I made the jump back to Chicago and back to where I am currently, um, which is at McDonald's corporate. So it really sounds like you really did a great job and still do a great job of leveraging your network. Mm-hmm. keeping those relationships and those bridges open, leveraging your network. I love that. The idea of kind of writing and reaching out. That's important because people don't do that enough. Like they want to keep it to the chest. Right. And it's like, no, you don't know who could help you on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, um, I, I think I am naturally kind of a people person. Um, I think I'm naturally kind of a, a, a dot connector. Um, and I just want my network to grow. I think I'm also very cognizant of, you know, the exchanges that I have with people. So I try to make sure that everything is positive and I, you know, like there are no burden, there are no burden bridges for me, you know? And, um, and I think New York is a city that just really lends itself to that, um, that it's a city of, of transplants that you, you know, may go to a brunch on the weekend and that may be someone who could give you an opportunity or someone you end up working with. Um, and, and like, I, I think everything always comes back around. So, you know, I tend to just be very open in my connections. 
um, in, in general. And I, I think that's because I'm just kind of comfortable with myself. You know, I'm never, you know, walking into a situation where, and I think sometimes people can be a bit closed True. in their networking or, or making connections because of maybe a level of insecurity, quite frankly, you know, yeah. about themselves or what they bring to the table or what they don't bring. Absolutely. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, my, my mom taught me something. She's always like, um, get over yourself, you know? And so she's like, never be so consumed, like in your own thoughts that it paralyzes you or like, it's not about you. So even when you have work exchanges with people or situations that don't go your way, like don't become so self-centered that you think that you know, people are being like malicious or targeting you or, you know, that person looked at me funny or what have you. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't know what could be happening in that person's mind or in their day or in their family. Like, there are so many things that exist beyond you. Yeah. So, like, don't get so self-centered in the exchange, quite frankly. Like, don't put that much weight on it. And, and so I, I think, but New York, I would say... It's just a city where you're constantly networking and making connections. You're constantly doing things after work. The industries overlap. Um, and so, yeah, I try to keep my network, you know, really, really broad, you know, all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That's awesome. How did you make the switch, though? So you were at J.P. Morgan and you were doing corporate philanthropy. How did you make that switch over to marketing? Uh, I sent an email. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm all about like, let me take an hour just with myself and kind of map out my plan before I get okay. in front of someone else. But essentially, you know, the way I went from Harriet to JP Morgan is that I looked at my Howard experience and, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever done like an energy map, but like the things that I was most passionate about were the community activities that I was leading not community activities that I was just participating in, but the community activities, the mobilizing volunteers, bringing thought leadership, exposing people to experiences. Like when I was organizing those big events for Delta, I was like, this is when I felt like I was most alive. Mm. And, um, you know, when I looked at the opportunity working in the corporate foundation thing, and people like die to work in corporate foundations. It is, you know, sometimes kind of like a very coveted, very coveted roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the team that I was on was, it was very niche. It was a strategic philanthropic initiatives team. So we weren't traditional grant makers. Um, it was a mix of sponsorships and grants. So, you know, partnerships with nonprofits um, that had a lot of visibility that maybe the CEO, you know, knew about or Maybe we were sponsoring a national tour of a dance company. Maybe we were sponsoring an exhibition opening. Maybe we were, you know, bringing arts and culture programming to a school that wouldn't have received it. Maybe we were joining a court refurbishment post Hurricane Sandy. Um, so a lot of what I was doing in the foundation and managing was a lot of dot connecting work and really like amplifying our support of, you know, certain community initiatives. And so, um, took that and did that for four and a half years. And I, and I loved it, but I think like most black women in corporate America, you get to a point where you don't get promoted or you don't get the pay that you deserve. And mm-hmm. you got to go like the system's mm-hmm. not going to change. You need to change. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were building out, um, 
they were building out at the time what became the sports and entertainment marketing practice at JP Morgan. So actually building a division or a team to manage sports sponsorships. And I was like, oh, okay. If I look at what I've done on the foundation side, we have, you know, in our sponsorship of the US Open, we supported tennis camps for girls. Um, or we did XYZ with the sports lens. Or I used to manage a global running series of running races. Um, and I was like, I worked in sports. I also am a student athlete. I ran track at college, in college at Howard. Um, I'm from a family of athletes. And that's kind of what I sold myself on. I was, I'm always a combination of personal and professional mm-hmm. uh, when I apply to roles. And so, you know, the, the guy who was heading the division at the time was Morehouse alum. You know, I knew he was a Q, you know, so I kind of went into that interview, like talking about the Q boat ride. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, like, are you wearing white on Labor Day? You know, I was just like trying to really break everything together and and got the opportunity. And he was like, he was, it was fantastic kind of working under his leadership um, for sure. So that's how I made the internal transition from philanthropy to sports marketing and I and I do think philanthropic engagement is a lot of marketing you know it's it's you know kind of positioning the brand in a way that you know the consumer thinks is positive or, or makes the consumer trust you know the brand more which is which is important throughout your career and your transitions would you say you've had to really overcome a lot of obstacles or were, was it kind of seamless for you like did you just really really prepare and because of how prepared you were doors just kind of open how has that been for you no i mean i I do think a lot of um a lot of what i have achieved or the success that i have attained however you want to define success has been like battle tested you know i i have a lot of bumps and bruises and um and have navigating a lot of battles quietly but I am like all about putting positivity into the universe and I'm always like this bitch don't pay my bills right and so I like at the end of the day like at the end of the day like I have real obligations and like me feeling away about my exchange with you if it's like going to mess up my money then I need to check myself you know and I also, you know, just feel like karma is a bitch and will always come back to bite, you know, whoever has tried to wrong you. Um, And it's happened every time Um, in terms of having like, you know, just, just, you know, you know, really negative exchanges with folks. And, um, you know, what I realized about myself is that um, my name is Nubia. I'm from the South Side. People may think you know, that I am not the person on paper that walks into a room. I think that, you know, there's a lot of kind of visual perception that I have to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just realized that I think I'm often in situations where people are really trying to figure me out. And, you know, I just prefer to kind of constantly keep folks guessing and keep myself guessing, you know, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, so no, it's it's been a lot. I mean, I think that when you are a, a confident black woman and you know what you can do and you know what you can't, you know that can be hard for people to digest. You know, when 
you know, your parents have given you a very solid foundation. You know, as they say, who you are, you know, who you are. That can be a lot for people to digest when you, you know, aren't necessarily seeking approval from people who um, aren't invested in you truly. Um, that could be a lot to digest, you know, um, when you have a very black and be black back name, but you don't sound black yeah. all the time. It could mm-hmm. be a lot for people to adjust to, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of, you know, I often say that I'm a little bit of a chameleon. I consider myself kind of a career generalist that I kind of can float, you know, between opportunities. I think the, the foundation of my skill set is always the same, but I think it, it, repre- it manifests and represents, it represents itself differently in different situations. Um, but I, I, I always try to stay flexible. And I think that being flexible in, you know, kind of that freedom within the fence, like being flexible in, you know, how I get to my ultimate end goal is really how I've been able to have, I think, a really diverse and rich uh, professional experience to date. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and an enjoyable one for sure. But I definitely have bumps and bruises. And, and what I often tell, especially, young professionals of color um, in, you know, post-George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, etc. Um, you know, in this kind of cultural and social awakening that we are all having. Yeah. Um, or have had, you know, I was like, this is no different than, you know, what happened after the Charleston Church Massacre. And, you know, having to walk into work you know, after multiple people were killed, you know, in the middle of prayer, right? And so what what I often, you know, have to tell, you know, young Black professionals is the situation never changes, you change, yeah. right? And so the structures and the powers that be are always going to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always going to have to, you know, balance kind of the emotional toll what happens on the outside world and then having to come to work and, you know, put on a nice, strong, professional face and make other people feel comfortable and, you know, help other people on their learning journeys. Um, And so I was like, well, what changes is you. Like, what changes is your emotional fortitude? What changes is your, um, you know, professional maturity? What changes is your perspective. What changes is your ability to see the forest through the trees, right? Like what changes is your ability to like react because you can see it coming, right? Whereas before, you know, you're caught off guard. Um, So I think if I just look at myself, you know, a decade ago to now, I just, you know, if there's an is what it is to all of it. Mm. Um, and I just think, you know, we have to, you know, really stay central to why we're there. Um, like, what are we trying to get from this? Is this job, you know, giving me the financial resources that I need at this point in, in my life? Is this job, you know, a, a steady opportunity because I'm family planning? Is this job a, a way for me to care give, you know, for my parents or my family? Um, because of the work-life balance. Um, you know, it's just, I think we have we have to have a bigger why mm-hmm. in order to like really navigate all of the BS. So we collectively are navigating and that, you know, and I think that 
my professional experience and the things that I've, you know, the challenges that I have had are no different than my girlfriends that also work in corporate. Like, I think you can like, we could write a paragraph, you can put anyone's name to it and it's the same thing, you yeah. know? And so, so knowing that, knowing that it, you should take away less personal. <laughs> it's not about me, you know? Right. It, it, it's just, a, it's an is, you know, mm-hmm. to being successful and being ambitious and being self-assured and being confident, you know, and being whole. It's just, it's just kind of what you're going to get, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. How do you speak to, like, how would you encourage anyone listening who really struggles with confidence? And I'll add that I have a few peers. I'm 43. And I have peers who are still, well, you know, they lack confidence when it comes to interviewing or talking to people or owning a room. Like, how would you encourage anyone listening who struggles with having that confidence? Because everybody has a different experience and different upbringing and they may struggle with that a lot. And and how would you encourage someone to kind of overcome that? those obstacles when it comes to walking in their power and the in the fullness of who they are yeah I think it takes time you know I think that you know if you're coming out of college and you're like guns blazing you're probably not confident and you're just masking it that's really you know um you know, I think that uh, it it definitely takes time. I think it takes experience. Um, but what I often tell people is like, you're the expert on yourself. And um, you just have to kind of start there. You know, like once you know, like spend the time to really understand who you are, then there is nothing that people could tell you about yourself that is a surprise, right? And I think that that comes to interpersonal relationships with family or friends, and then it comes to work. You know, I think that as you continue to navigate your career, you're, you should be rarely surprised by what people say, you know? <laughs> if you really know yourself, you just have to be comfortable with what's going to happen, you know? Right. It, it, the positive or negative, it's, it's you know, it's, you know, some people say that you're ex, and I'm like, that's right. Right. <laughs> You know, okay. yeah. you, you, you're going to get less and less surprised by, by what by what people say. Um, so, um, so I would just, you know, uh, I, I would say just become an expert on you first, mm-hmm. um, because no one can question who you are. They can't. Like you know yourself best, and and even like when people are. Um, you, you know, when you first inter- you know, meet someone at work or uh, you're like finding what to talk about, it's kind of like talk about your experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one can question your professional experience, your personal experience, your upbringing as, as we're talking, you know, like no one can test you on the facts of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so just start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, everything else will come. I also think that you know, people um, often gravitate towards certain energies. And I think that you have to be really honest with the energy that you bring. And um, there's a leader in particular um, that I just really adore. And he, he always says, you bring the weather. And you have to be really cognizant of the weather that you bring mm-hmm. um, into a situation. And you have to choose. And, you know, 
I, I think that I choose to always be positive. I choose to always be professional. You know, um, that that is the weather that I'm going to walk into any exchange with. I'm going to walk into an exchange assuming positive intent, mm-hmm. um, regardless of maybe what I have experienced or heard or people want me about. Um, because you you bring the weather, and I think that when you bring negativity or you you know maybe bring a lack of confidence, that it really changes someone's exchange with you or. If you're bringing weather, you can change their exchange, right? Yeah. Like you can shift them to the positive. You can shift them to the optimistic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by just like really focusing on that and not focusing on being nasty or thinking negatively or thinking the worst. Um, and, I, and I've seen it, you know, you, you, you know, you're like in the workplace and you're like, I don't want right. to be around that person. Yeah. You know, so I, I would do that. I think that the positive energy, I feel like often, you know, feeds our own self-confidence as well. For you sure. Know? For yeah. sure. Great yeah. advice. Great advice. So tell us about your journey to getting your executive MBA. Congratulations again. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know this is I know that was a really big deal. So tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Um. So I uh, I first heard about kind of graduate business education um, when I was an intern at Bank One. So this is back in the summer of 2004. So this is a very long time ago. And um, at the time, Bank One used to have this partnership with UNCS, with the United Negro College Fund. And um, you would apply to the internship, kind of the, that specific internship. You got a $10,000 scholarship that you could apply, you know, to anything. Um, and then ultimately you would do the internship for multiple summers and they would then send you to business school, either, you know, Booth or Kellogg, University of Chicago or Northwestern, and you will work at Bank One full time. Okay. Very unique program. Bank One is headquartered in Chicago, which is why they chose, you know, these two top tier business schools. It was a fantastic initiative. Unfortunately, I was the last intern class. So I, as I mentioned, I interned at, you know, Bank One the summer of the merger. Um, and, you know, going to business school is a hefty price tag, especially if you're sending, you know, 10 to 12 people to business school every year. And, you know, it's a six figure education. Um, and so, you know, I was the last class. And so they kind of, you know, did away with the program. So, you know, continue to matriculate through Howard, you know, got my job with Harriet for a few years, then got to get Morgan Chase and kind of reignited my desire, you know, to go back to, to, to school. And, um, I initially started, and and business school is all about, there's so many business school prep programs, you have to take the GMAT. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of initiatives that help, you know, people and students of color specifically get in. So um, I initially was in a program with the Forte Foundation, which is focused on women and women in business. So I was like in the first class of Forte Fellows which gave me a, a mentor in a, in a completely different industry outside of, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase. I um, applied to so many other prep programs and ended up, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and apply. You know, did the school visits, like did the campus preview days, you know, just there's this whole long process. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up kind of shortlisting my schools. I applied to six of the top programs. My GMAT was it. Eh. My GMAT was all right. You know, I was like, but I'm so well-rounded. Like I have this plate of food, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was rejected at five schools and I got waitlisted at one. Mm-hmm. And it was like a concept punch. So this was in 2014. I, I pushed the mid on all of my applications, like the very top of 2014. I didn't go home that Christmas. You know, I was like really focused on pushing submit. I did. I honestly, could I have waited and taken the test again? Of course. But I am like the type of person where my mental energy stays here. And if there is something lingering for me, I need to get it done. Okay. So I pushed the mid. I had an admissions counselor, just put all this money, like invested all of this resource into trying to get in. And, you know, got rejected and waitlisted. And I was like, woo, well, talk about love to the ego child. Like, if I thought it was hot, then I'm not, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think what the business school process teaches you is to get really specific on your why. And, you know, it's a, a, a master's program for business. And, you know, there's an argument of that. You can maybe just navigate your way to certain positions in your career, like, is this a, a truly necessary degree? It's not like going to medical school where right. you have to go to medical school to be a doctor. It's not like going to law school, even though, you know, you can you can take the, the bar and still become a lawyer, but it's, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but what it did was, was force me to get really specific about my career goals. Um, and get get really comfortable asking for help. And I am like, as my parents have taught me, super self-sufficient, self-starter. I find a way, I don't know where I can get things done. But you know, the process of asking people to review your resume, to look at your essays, to write recommendations for you. If you need multiple recommendations for multiple schools, like it's a lot on your network. Um, it, it just kind of really burst in my bubble a bit. And what ended up happening was I wrote my then essay about wanting to shift from philanthropy to then going to business school to get into the CPG industry or this consumer product goods industry and work for like a Gatorade or work for Frito-Lay because they were huge in the sports space. Um, and what ended up happening because I was circulating my essays around J.P. Morgan, again, kind of that writing that email mm-hmm. or writing that essay. And then when they were developing this new division, you know, someone was like, don't you, aren't you interested in sports? Like, <laughs> you know? So I ended up, you know, getting a fantastic job and ended up getting promoted within that job and working for a fantastic manager. So I kind of manifested a little bit of what I wanted to go to school for. Um, And then, you know, when I got to McDonald's and kind of got to the city of Chicago and just, you know, McDonald's being a major power player in the corporate community and having very strong ties to the network of business schools here, you know, it kind of reignited the desire to go. And I knew that, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to stop working and go full time. I'm at a different time in my life. Like, I definitely need a paycheck. Um, (laughs) And, but I knew I had the support, you know, of my team, um, of my manager, of even like senior leadership to pursue, um, to pursue, you know, an executive program, which, which is technically a full-time program because I was in class, you know, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday for two years. Right. 
Um, so that meant potential time out of the office. That meant traveling internationally for electives, et cetera. You know, just, just you know, my time, of managing my time and getting my work done in a very different way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this time I... I think I probably called on support earlier. And so while I had investigated schools on my own and did all the prep programs, I think when I got to McDonald's and I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply, that is really when I started engaging people. And and that was that was like three years before I actually pushed the mail for an application. Um, like I put it in my review the day I got to McDonald's. Like wow. I plan to go, you know, to Northwestern or UFC and go you know through the executive MBA program and this is this is one of my professional development goals this is a requirement of mine mm-hmm. you know and um and and you know kind of got there in 2017 and in 2020 I felt like it was the appropriate time I got married in 2018 I wanted to enjoy married life for a year you know so I got married towards the end of 2018 2019, you know, my husband and I were in that honeymoon phase, and then at the top of 2020, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school this year, you know? Um, and the pandemic happened, and it's funny because Kellogg has rolling admission, and I was like, COVID be damned. Like, I am still pushing submit, because I had already started my applications for a May deadline, and, you know, the pandemic happened, you know, March 12th or March 9th of, of 2020. And I was like, mm, I don't care. Like, I'm still submitting. We're going to see what happens, you yeah. know, with the virus. And ended up, you know, getting in and being one of the first classes at Kellogg to start in a pandemic. And, you know, had to navigate, you know, virtual learning um, for the first time. I am not a virtual learner. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, as a teacher in front of me, I need like physical materials. I need, you know, a yeah. lot of kind of engagement. Um, and so that was, you know, a really interesting shift. And business school is very much about your team. It's very much about the network with the cohort. And a lot of those exchanges happen live and in person. So having to kind of build that community and navigate that, you know, that experience virtually for at least the first quarter, you know, was, was really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, but also, you know, in my in my cohort, I was one of two black women out of sixty five people. So, again, about being confident in who you are and, and kind of what you represent and what you come to the table with, you know, I think it was increasingly important because, you know, business school is often about perspective and you sharing your background with folks and and that being part of the academic experience and, you know, being. You know, one of two people in our cohort who went to an HBCU, you know, being one person from the outside of Chicago, um, having a very unique professional background. Like I had to get really comfortable and not to say I wasn't, but a lot of what I did at work, but also who I was personally was kind of what I needed to bring to the table. Yeah. And do that pretty unapolog- unapologetically, right? And so, you know, I loved it. I mean, I think business school comes at a very high price tag so I know that being married with no children kind of puts me in a different position but you know you're in a cohort it's an executive MBA program for a reason you know you're in a cohort with CEOs and CFOs and mm-hmm. people who have four children and, and are living real lives and yeah and obligations and so um, it was the best you know 
program for me. I absolutely loved it. It was a lot, you know, to navigate. And so I tell people like, it's not easy. And, you know, you're probably, probably like work home in school. Taking it, you know, taking it back probably to your early years of like, you know, you only have three main things that you can focus on. Right, right. So it was a lot. It was, you know, I just felt like I was working all the time because there's no, you know, demarcation between work and school. Right. You know, at that level. So, um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad to be on the other side of it. And and now I'm just kind of figuring out you know, how I really want to leverage. I mean, I, I thought about it, you know, throughout the entire experience, but yeah. really kind of igniting some of the ideas that I've had at business school or um, connecting with some of the contacts to, to get some things off the ground. It's, it's, it's hopefully where I want to be like post-October, once I get through this like very busy work period. Um, so yeah, and I think that People are like, oh, some people go to business school, of course, to get a promotion to level up. And I got promoted mid-program. I, you know, got a new person on my team. So I think all the things that I wanted it to do did for me immediately. And I, and I think awesome. business school, yeah, we talk about confidence. And I think business school, it, it, it gave me context. And so while I, you know, thought I needed to go to business school because I, you know, was in a deficit in a certain skill set. What I just realized is like, I needed the situation to bring it out. And that, that's anything. It's just like, you need to be in a situation where the things that are in you already exist and they need to be brought out. And so, you know, when I graduated, I kind of said to myself, I was like, it was always in me. I really just needed an experience, you know, to, to help and, you know, or nursing, right? Yes. Or, or, you know, I I would say I had a particular senior leader at McDonald's that um, I hadn't spoke to in person in two years because of the pandemic. And um, I saw him in April and he was just like, so I hadn't spoke to him since school. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, you are a completely different person. <laughs> wow. And I was like, Emma, he's like, you are. And I, he's like, I don't know. Not that you worked great before, but he's just like, you are showing so differently. Um, and I think, you know, being in a situation with folks who are, are you know, very successful and can be thought of as high powered and, you know, have lots of exposure and you been there as a black woman from the South Side, um, you know, it can be intimidating for some or it can be empowering. And I, I think I was just like, I'm in the room. So... Hello. I always be in the room, you know. Yes. Um, or I, I will pick the rooms that I'm in. You know, it's it's you know I don't need to be in your room because I can pick the rooms that I want. So yeah, it was it was uh, you know I love I I love my experience uh, and I, I recommend it for for anyone who's considering considering. It. So and, wow, Whew. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love these kind of conversations because it makes you self-reflect. I know for me, right? Just it's it makes me think about what I'm doing, what I'm working on, what my, you know, what my purpose is. And I just absolutely love that iron truly sharpens iron. So this conversation and has been really so rich for me and so wonderful. And I hope that my listeners have gotten a lot because you have shared so much wisdom. Um, so much wisdom 
on this on this podcast and I really really appreciate you being a guest on the show and just being willing and open to share it has been an amazing conversation I really could keep going but I'm not yeah. <laughs> I know we're like an hour and a half in you know? I'm like I mean I really need to cut this off but it's just so good I'm just like I don't want to cut it off. It's just so good. So, but I am going to cut it off here. So uh, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for, you know, just being an awesome example and just, you know, a true inspiration to so many of us. Thank you so much. Um, If anybody wanted to contact you professionally, how can they reach you? Yeah, I would say, um, I don't know when the episode is dropping, but I would, I would say post October. (laughs) Post October, okay. <laughs> yeah, reach reach out to me on LinkedIn. I I do check my messages not instantly, but I, I do pride myself on being responsive in a uh, reasonable amount of time. So I would say just send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, okay, connect. That's perfect. The show is gonna go out next week, but like she said, guys, okay. reach out to her. <laughs> Until October, <laughs> you want you want hear from me in the month of September. I, I, I try to manage people's expectations. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna come back to you. And, you right? Know, <laughs> you know, school school taught me that school was like the ultimate excuse. So it's like, um, I can school. I can. Right. I'm in school. You know, which I was, which I was. You know, right. That's true. That's not a lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. And um, guys, thank you for listening. Till next time. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. Please follow Faith Over Everything podcast on the following social media platforms. Faith Over Everything underscore podcast on Instagram. Or you can find us at Faith Over Everything podcast on Facebook. If you have any additional questions, suggestions, or would like to be a guest, feel free to email me directly at faithovereverythingpodcast, the number one at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, share, and like on all of the platforms. I am looking forward to engaging with you guys and have a great day.